Hi friends, welcome to episode four of Womankind. I'm here with my good friend Maria De Peters. Hi everybody! And we have a lot in store for you today. So, um, to begin with today, I have an issue that I need to address. So, I've had many men approach me and ask me if they could be guests on Womankind. And it was interesting in some of these cases because the men that approached me, they're very charismatic people. They're people that would be interesting guests to have on a podcast. Um, and so I thought about it and I thought about it some more and then I stopped because I thought about men in TV, men on other podcasts, men in boardrooms, men in governments. And I asked myself, how often do these men sit back and ask themselves if they should have a woman in the room? And I think until pretty re recently, the answer has been that they haven't thought of that. And this podcast is called Womankind. And it's just, I, I'm just a little upset with myself that I, I wavered a little bit in, in thinking of that when the point of this podcast is to tell the stories of women. Um, and I think right now it's a time to really take into account that it's time for people that have traditionally and systemically been in positions of power, it's time for people like that to listen. Men, it's time for you to listen. Um, people that are white, it's time for you to listen to people of color. It's just a time where we really need to work on our empathy and work on seeing things from the other side so we can see some real changes. Um, so I'm not trying to be exclusive. I'm not trying to be rude. Um, I'm really just focusing on women telling their stories. And I really hope that someday there isn't a need to hear women's stories um, as women's stories. I hope that it can be less marginalized and more normalized. And then maybe we can have a show called Humankind, where everyone is just telling human stories. So that is my response to the many men that have asked me. And I think the most disturbing part, well, yeah, I guess disturbing is the right word, is that these men, I think that they just want to be on a podcast, not this podcast. You right, girl. <laughs> and so if that's the case, you can start your own podcast. Like, I did it. It's not that hard. Um, and I wonder why these men didn't offer up a woman that was in their life to be on the show. Like, why didn't they think, oh, my mom would be a person with a great story to be on that show. Oh, my wife or my sister or my niece. Um, so just uh, some food for thought out there in response to this question that I've gotten over and over. So there it is. There it is, Kels. <laughs> yeah. Start your own podcast, guys. You know? <laughs> so last week when I had Sarah Taylor on the show, Sarah and I had... <laughs> It was supposed to be a debate, but Sarah and I just agreed, so it wasn't much of a debate, um, about why the word feminism is scary to some people. And I called out um, certain people in my life that had mentioned that it was scary to them, and one of those people is sitting right next to me. Here I am! <laughs> so, Maria, why don't you tell us a little bit about what makes that word something that is a little bit scary to you? Sure. I don't 
I don't think that it's feminism that's scary to me because if I were to really look at myself and talk about who I am, I am a feminist. When you guys explained the definition last week, I am a feminist. It's in every word and everything in life, there's different levels of things. Mm -hmm. So there are extremists out there and, you know, extremists on the coming down from that too. So, um, I have an issue with people that are extremists and it feels like a lot of people that I talk to in my life tend to be extremists and that's not my good friends. You guys are not because I think if you were, we probably wouldn't be friends, but, um, you know, there's certain people that I know that it, it's just almost taking it to the next level. So I think when I hear feminism and that word, it's not that I don't agree that I am a feminist cause I am obviously I think that if, um, you people that say hardcore that they're not a feminism, but you really look at the definition of the word, I mean, they would be content with being chained in the basement by a man and only come upstairs to cook and clean and make their bed. So I don't think that women are like that these days. But, um, you know, I think... Wait, maybe, so that would be a person who truly doesn't believe in feminism? I, I would say truly doesn't believe in feminism. Yeah. Okay. Um, but I, I take issue to women that... Um, that say things like, well, I'm not going to be how it was. I'm not going to be a woman how it was 50, 60, 70 years ago. And I'm not going to cook and I'm not going to clean. And, and I am going to do this and I'm not going to do this. And, and my thing is, is um, we have to eat. We have to clean ourselves. So that's just human nature and that's just basic survival. And when you just say you can't do those things because women used to do that and women are evolving, um, I take issue with that because my grandmothers were stay-at-home moms. So are you discrediting my grandmother's life because she was a stay-at-home mom and she cooked and she cleaned and she raised kids? Um, so that those are people that I have issue with. Um, when you really just think that women that live that life don't lead, live a meaningful life. And um, I remember when my mom's mom passed, it was one of the largest funerals I've ever been to. And that means that that woman had such an impact in society and in other people's lives. And she didn't have a job by the time she had kids. But she was such an influential person. And believe you me, she believed in women's rights. And the person that ran the household was my grandmother, not my grandfather by any means. But, um, you know, it, it's just taking the word feminism to the next level, to an extremist level. And those are, that's what I have an issue with. It's not the word feminism. So I hope that answered it. That does. <laughs> okay. Uh, but just to kind of ask some questions mm -hmm. here, um, or to ponder on that a little bit. Sure. I, I agree with you about people who are extreme about certain things that, mm -hmm. that kind of is, is a turnoff for a lot of people. Uh, but I think, and I hope that the people that are truly fighting for equality are fighting for the choice. And I think the difference, like, like with your grandma, like she absolutely, she nailed it and made the best of it. But I think at that time she didn't, a lot of people didn't have the option to do something else if they wanted to. And I think that's something that we just need to work on in society in general is not demonizing people for their choices. If someone chooses to be um, a stay-at-home mom or chooses to be a homemaker, that is just as valuable as choosing to be out in the world. And I think that 
is another issue that people have with people who are feminists is that they don't see it as people fighting for everyone to have those choices. I absolutely agree with that. I, I do. I think, and, and I have an issue with people that don't look at both sides of, mm -hmm. of a situation. You know, people deserve and have the right to do whatever they want to do. And we can't look down on, on people for their choices. So, and the comment that I did make um, <laughs> that you guys were kind of talking about, you know, I look back at it and should I have made that comment? Probably not because, you know, now I regret saying that because it didn't make sense. Um, but I think it's good that I did because I think that it started up a good conversation. But I 100% agree with you, Kelsey. We can't judge people for their decisions and what they want to do in their lives. Absolutely. And in um, actually the day that Sarah and I had that discussion, um, it wasn't the day that the podcast was released. It was the day we recorded it. Um, Kellyanne Conway had made some comments about feminism and I don't remember exactly word for word what she said but she made some comments about how maybe it isn't necessary and how it is kind of a turnoff to some people and I know that during like the women's march that there are some women who were who are um, anti-abortion that really felt that they were kind of demonized as being part of the women's march or didn't even want to wanted to be part of the women's march but didn't participate because um, they were afraid of certain ideals that um, the people who started the women's march were um, upholding and they felt like they didn't belong so I I kind of was able to look at it from a different side after seeing that and I mean Sarah and I both find the word to be inclusionary but I don't think, I guess I don't, I guess it's not to everybody. Do yeah. you, do you find it to be an yeah, inclusive I, word? I think it's supposed to be inclusive, but I think it is very exclusive. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's unfortunate. And I think because we do, you know, so many people think that the word feminism, everybody should look at things this way, mm -hmm. but people don't. People have their own their own values, their own morals, their own religious beliefs, their own take on things, and they deserve to have those feelings. We can't everybody cannot feel and think the same way about every single issue. And that's why we live in a free country. That is true. So you've heard a lot from Maria DePeter so far, but let's introduce her a little bit so you guys know a little bit more about her. So she is the head women's volleyball coach at Buffalo State College, and she's one of my very best friends, mm -hmm. and we actually just celebrated her um, bridal shower, was that two weekends ago? Yeah. And mm -hmm. she's here to tell us a little bit about herself. So, um, Maria, what is a little bit of your story that you'd like to share with us? All right. Well, you know, that sums it up. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, well, I think when I think of myself, I think of myself as being a loud, funny, well, at least I think I'm funny. You might not, but uh, <laughs> most of the time, <laughs> most of the time. Um, I'm very outgoing, very energetic. I'm tall. Um, I'm athletic. Um, I have sometimes too big of a heart, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, I think I am very open-minded in a lot of things and in a lot of ways. Um, which is, I think, a really great quality of myself, which not, not to boast, but <laughs> I like I like that. Um, I, I love to try new things. I love to lay in the sun, as Kelsey knows. I'm mm -hmm. a big pool and beach person, which I think is important because I just like to be outside, which is nice. Um, 
I really enjoy, I love, I enjoy life and I like to make people happy. Um, that's a huge thing of me. I think that, um, that's really important to be happy. Um, word, the word love is really also very important to me. I believe that we should love everything we do. We should love the people we're around um, and try to love our, our lives as much as we can. Um, I think when that word kind of falls out into what you're doing, either in the, in the workplace or in your personal life um, or maybe where you're living, um, I think you need to really do some deep thinking and maybe make a change because, you know, we, we always, we just have such a short time on this earth and, um, it's really important to do what you love. And that's why that word's tattooed right on my body. <laughs> <laughs> it sure is. Um, yeah, I mean, Maria, you are a very, very passionate person. And I think that your that love that you're talking about, that passion kind of radiates to everyone around you. Uh, and Maria and I, we went to high school together. And I know that whenever we run into someone that we went to high school with that we haven't seen in a while, people always remember Maria. And they always, I mean, have a conversation with her. And I think that's just a true testament to the type of person that she is. Thanks, Kels. Welcome. So, Maria, what does it mean to you to be a woman in this year, 2017? Sure. I think that in this year and where when we're living, I think that we're really lucky in a lot of ways. Um, I think that there's obviously obstacles that we have to overcome and there's struggles that we all have. Um, but... I know I'm blessed with a lot of opportunities that, you know, I look back at that my grandmothers didn't have. And I, I speak so, I speak back to my grandparents because my grandparents are all immigrants from Italy. So they lived a very different life when they came over here. And I was very raised in a um, strong Italian household. And I know very much what my mom and my grandmothers could and could not do. So I really see how blessed and fortunate I am to be born when I was and raised where I, how I was. Um, you know, I had the opportunity to play sports, and sports is a huge, a huge thing in my life. It's my career. Um, you know, 50 years ago, 60 years ago, that I wouldn't have had that option, and I got to go to college and play the thing that I absolutely love. Um, I got to pick a college that I wanted to go to. I get to marry the man that I choose to marry. I get to pick up and travel the country without being told what I can and cannot do. Well, some countries I can't go to right now, but <laughs> um, I, I get to do really what I please. I, got to, I get to do a job that I love and that I want to do, and, um, and that's a big thing for me because having a female coach in a college setting is something that you don't see very often in too many sports. Um, volleyball is getting a lot better because that's what I coach. I coach volleyball, obviously, um, but, you know, it's, it's very, it's very much a male-dominated field. Um, Thirty years ago, there might have been forty years ago, you know, two two women, one woman coach per conference, if that. So I'm very fortunate um, in that. I think that there's a lot of great things. I think women are. I mean, look at we had a woman run for a president. You know, that hasn't happened yet. Um, we have women running their own multi-billionaire companies and being CFOs and CEOs and some of the richest people in the country right now are females, which is phenomenal. So I really look at it as being blessed. There are a lot of things that we still struggle with as being a woman, but um, 
I, I think that I have had a good life and I'm living a good life and I think it's just going to keep getting better. Wow, that's optimistic. Yeah, I love it. Thanks. Um, if you guys check out on uh, my the Facebook page for Womankind, there's actually a video I posted um, a couple weeks ago that has a similar theme to it of what Maria was just saying. And it's it's really about telling a story of, uh, the word that she uses is a story of abundance versus scarcity. Um, and the, in the video, she talks about how there have been 50 women leaders, women presidents or prime ministers in the world um, since 20 years ago when this UN conference for women leaders was started. And so she really, she walked around and asked people to say like, um, to t take a guess at how many women leaders there had been in that time. And people would say like, oh, one, two, maybe five at the most. And the answer is 50. That's and great. so she was talking about using that as a way of looking at telling a story of abundance of female leaders versus scarcity. Like, of, of course, there could be more and there should be more, but, um, but also to celebrate the ones that there have been. Mm -hmm. That's an important thing to do. Yeah, I think sometimes we we look too much on the negatives and we forget to look at where we've come mm -hmm. and the strides that we've made and that's phenomenal. 50 is that's a big number. Mm -hmm. I mean, could it be better? Absolutely, mm -hmm. but you know, things don't happen overnight and I think that that's what we have to remind ourselves. Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to make changes. Uh, and my favorite quote from Ruth Bader Ginsburg that goes along with that is someone asked her when there will be um enough women on the Supreme Court. And she said, when there are nine Supreme Court justices that are women. <laughs> and the person that she said that to was shocked, but she, her counter was, why is it shocking if there are nine men? There were nine men for a long time, so it shouldn't be shocking if there are nine women. Right. And I love that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Maria, what are your favorite parts of being a woman? Oh, goodness gracious. Well, I love the clothes. <laughs> The makeup. I love doing my hair. I'm kind of a girly girl, but that's okay. Um, I think mostly I love the friendships that women get to make. It's funny because I was talking about this with my fiance, another man out there who wants to be on the podcast. So <laughs> sorry, Sean. Call the out, Sean. Um, but I he, and he agreed. He goes, women really get to have um, a different type of relationship with their friends than men do. Mm -hmm. And I know Kelsey's touched on it almost every week that she's had this podcast, but we really do come from a phenomenal group of friends. And, you know, it's 10 plus, which mm -hmm. is pretty crazy. But, you know, women are just more natural at um, being mothering and being trusting. And I think that that's another big thing is being trusting. Um since I coach women, it's a really great relationship that I get to have. And I think one of the th big things about my players, uh, present and former, that, that like being coached at the college level by a woman is that they feel very, they can be, feel very open and trustworthy um, with me. And I think that that's big because in college, there's so many different things that take place in your life that it's really nice to have somebody to go to. So I love those relationships that I have, not just with my players, but with my friends and and my family as well. No, did you have a woman coach when you played I did. volleyball? I did. Okay. And now, like, when you travel around and you see, um, like, different schools and different conferences, are there, do you see many women coaches for women's sports? It's it's getting a lot better. There's, in, like, in sport, like, lacrosse, it's actually dominated by women, um, which is huge. Um, as far as other female sports programs, I would say... Um, 
I mean, there's certain sports I, I don't really know the statistics of because I'm not around those sports. Like if my program doesn't have it, I might not know like field hockey or tennis and things like that. Um, but I would say for most other sports, they are dominated by men or it's, it's maybe 60, 40. So that, you know, that gap is starting to close a little bit more. I can say in the conference that I coach in, there are, I think five, six male coaches and four female coaches. So, you know, we're closing, we're closing that gap, which is really cool. Um, anyways, do you want me to keep going? Uh, did you have more about your favorite? Do you have more favorite parts? No, I so can't be sure. Um, no, I think um, that that's good. So mm-hmm. on the flip side, then, what are the hardest parts to you of being a woman? Yeah. So for me, I think that there's two. Um, the big one for me about being a woman would be body image. Um, having to look your best, especially in today's society, um, and it's always been like this. It's for me, it's really tough because I'm not only a tall woman, but I'm a bigger woman. Um, some people probably that know me are probably rolling their eyes right now, but I am. I'm not this six foot, you know, size six girl. I am six foot size 10. But um, growing up, that was really hard for me. You know, you get a lot of comments that come your way. Um, it's really hard to find clothes as a, as a kid. Um, you know, there was a time when I was a girl that I was trying to buy men's jeans because I couldn't find jeans that fit me because I am not just thicker on the bottom. I am six feet tall. So I can't, I couldn't go into a store that you could when we were in high school, like American Eagle and find jeans that were long enough on me. And that was really tough. Um, that had a lot of, but wait, when I went in there, the jeans were like maybe a foot too long. Yeah. So who fit into those jeans? Who could say really? <laughs> who could say? Call in. There is no like, phone line. I would have to like cut off the bottom of my jeans because they were so long. You have to be literally 5'7", 5'8", 135, 40 pounds is like mm. their prime criteria. Mm-hmm. Absolute prime. And when I go and try on their longs, now they're, they've gotten better. But like 10 years ago, their longs were still floods on me. So it was really tough. Um, but this, the, the image of looking perfect and being a certain, um, a certain weight and height and, um, you know, your overall exterior really is what I'm saying is, is really tough because I think that for me, you know, put everything I put in my mouth, I have to think about how does this affect me? How does it not affect me? I can't just, um, not care about that thing. I remember I played a game one time with um, a buddy of mine and he goes, if there's one thing that you didn't have to worry about ever again, what would it be? And I said, it's what I put into my mouth and what, you know, how much weight I'm going to gain. Um, Because for a woman, it's tough. It's not like men that can cut out one thing in their life, like a beer a day and drop 15 pounds in a week. You know, for us, it's, you know, I cut out five beers in a week and I'm gaining a pound somehow. I don't know how that's happening, but it happens. But um, I definitely think, you know, the way we look is a huge is a huge stressor for women. Absolutely. Some, some women might not care and good for you. Um, I do care and I, you know, I've struggled with it my whole life. So I've been thinking a lot about where all of this comes from. I just, over the weekend, I watched um, the documentary. It's on Netflix. It's called um, Misrepresentation. 
I think that's what it's called. I think, yeah, I, Miss... I, think I saw that on the Netflix oh, okay. account. <laughs> on our shared Netflix account. Um, so, oh, don't take that away, Netflix. Um, so, I watched this. It's from 2011, so it's a bit old. Well, not that old, but um, it talks a lot about the image of women on TV and about or just in the media in general and like the narratives we've been fed over the years and you know since the advent of tv and now i'm i'm very paranoid like every t- right afterwards i was getting ready to go out and i was like putting on makeup and i stopped and i'm like who am i am i doing this for me am i doing this for my boyfriend am i doing this for other women i don't know where did i get this idea that i have to do this and it was just I, where have we been, where has this come from? Where has this expectation come from that like you have to think about every day what you put in your mouth, which you don't, I know people will say like you don't have to, but it's something you think about every day and it's been ingrained in you and it's, um, really bothers me that we've had this, these expectations, um, imposed on us. Well, when we look at women, especially in Hollywood, I mean, everybody is a, a solid zero, if not a double zero. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you could be a double zero, but sometimes <laughs> you can. It's like having like a 4.2 GPA. How does that happen? But, um, <laughs> but, you know, it's you look at yourself, you compare yourself to those people. And it's tough because we shouldn't be comparing ourselves. But, you know, look back, look back to women just over the course of history, women had to be put together. I look at, I love watching old movies, like movies that are based out of the 30s and the 40s. And those women are in dresses every day. Somehow their hair is like perfectly pinned. I try to imagine how I could pin my hair and I don't think I could. Um, Their makeup is just immaculate. And they're vacuuming the house in high heels and a skirt. And that was the expectation. That is what men wanted to come home to. You could not leave the house looking any any differently. But according to this documentary, they um, really went into why we think like that. Because during World War II, women were working in factories, women were um, in the workplace, and then the war ended and all the men came back and they needed jobs to give back to them. And so basically the media launched this campaign in which they showed that. They showed women like vacuuming in pearls and they showed women in these like perfect um like outfits and perfect hair and just being homemakers as propaganda to get women to want to do that and i've never really realized how manipulated we are by tv until i heard that um but yeah now i'm questioning everything (laughs) i want to i want to watch this documentary it sounds phenomenal um but yeah absolutely we are we are influenced by everything in society and mm-hmm. especially in Hollywood. It's it's mm-hmm. it's kind of gross, but we absolutely are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we compare ourselves all the time to what those women look like, what they dress like, how they do their makeup, how they do their nails, you know, what purses are they wearing, what heels are they wearing. So um, it's, you know, we and we want to be like those people because we think that that's what men or other, or, or women or, or, you know, whatever sexual orientation is, will be attracted to. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so that is body image is definitely the number one thing for me. Absolutely. And I think I, I don't think anyone I can get away without being affected by it in some way. And I know that it does, there are expectations for men and certain things that stick out as very difficult for them. But I think overall, 
um, women receive the brunt of that expectation. Um, so is there anything that you think the world needs to know about women that it doesn't know already? Yeah. So this would kind of be, um, I, I would kind of compare it or combine it with the last question too. Like, what do I think is hard for a woman to, mm-hmm. um, I think, and what the world needs to know. I think when women are passionate about something, I think men like to take it as we're yelling about something. And I despise that. <laughs> um, you know, if a woman were to go into a meeting and uh, drop a few swear words about being, you know, really passionate about something, your boss would probably call you into the office and say, no, Kelsey, that wasn't appropriate. But if a man was to do it, it would probably be 100% appropriate mm-hmm. and he'd probably stand up and start clapping for him. This has happened actually in my workplace. Not started clapping, but, you know, people are <laughs> laughing. I'm probably one of them. But, um, and I just think about what if that, what if I said that same exact thing the same way? Um, how would that be received? And it wouldn't be received properly. It would be received that I'm not, you know, acting like a lady. And, and that's even on, that's even when I'm coaching. If I was coaching and I'm, you know, I'm yelling and I'm passionate or, you know, I'm calling the ref out, you know, as a woman, it's, you need to calm down. But if a man does that, it's okay, they're kind of laughing, they're joking around, and a big, two big sports you can watch that in, and the interactions is hockey and basketball. Those coaches are crazy. And the things that male coaches can get away with is incredible compared to what women coaches can get away with. Um, you know, and then there's an email going to your AD talking about how your, your female volleyball coach isn't acting professionally. Um, but there's no repercussion for men. So that was kind of my part two for the last question. But really what we what you need to know is, you know, we're just passionate about something. And the way that we say things is a little bit different um, than maybe how it used to be said. And I don't think that it needs to be t- taken as bossy. I don't think it needs to be taken as, you know, we're PMSing or <laughs> we're having all these emotions running through us. It's taken as, hey, we're passionate about what we're talking about we want to see change we want to see things get done in whatever capacity that may be and this is how we see it being getting done so you know listen up and just do it mm-hmm. why do we have to be saying oh you're being aggressive you're being bossy you're being this you're being that I just I hate that I really do so what are some of these things that you feel very passionate about oh that's a good question um just in women's rights in general. Sure. Um, I, I definitely feel passionate about women getting equal pay. I think that that's huge. Um, I feel I feel passionate about, um, you know, I think just women, I, I think women being able to speak how they want to speak and not being judged. I think that that's like a big thing for me. I really do. Um, because I'm very loud. Um outrageous, no filter type of a person. So, you know, I obviously know how to act professional, but when I say things, I want to be, I want to be listened to in the same capacity as a man's being, if that if, as if a man were saying what I was saying, mm-hmm. that is probably my number one. And then, you know, equal pay, obviously, um, anywhere for women would be definitely my number mm-hmm. two. Mm-hmm. So I think at this point we'll move into stories of subversion. Um, and I know Maria has a story to tell. Oh, I do. I do. Um, so my story of subversion is 
about the USA women's soccer team. And I'm sure some of you guys probably know about it or have heard about it, um, but it was back in the summer, I wanna say spring, around this time last year, is five players on the USA national team um, sued the USA soccer, and I'm gonna like butcher this, I'm like pulling up the <laughs> article right now, but um, what they did is that they were fighting for fair rights for equal pay um, for their team. And there's just so many different levels of who pays whom and different, there's just so many different federations and levels to soccer and national and international that I really don't want to butcher it because I just, I'm going to get it wrong. But essentially these five women were just saying, why are we essentially in the past three years, the more dominant team compared to the USA men's national team and they're making more money. Um, and that is terrible. And, you know, if you if you haven't read about it, I would absolutely just look it up and you can read about it and you'll find out way more information. But like one of the big things is is they are both getting paid if they win games um, by the, the money's coming out of the same, let's just say, pot. OK, for both the men and yeah. women's. And um, and but there are different pots. But for this one purpose, when it comes to win, loss and tie games, they're getting paid equally from the same place. And if the men's team if they lose, they get a bonus. If they tie, they get a bonus. If they win, they get a bonus. The only time the women's players get a bonus is if they win. And the money is nowhere even comparable to what the men make. That's ridiculous. That's absolutely ridiculous because these women are training and competing and, you know, and winning. And even if they're not winning, they're they're doing the same thing that the men are. You know, and it's funny because when I talk about this to the men's, the male soccer coaches at my work, they like to say, well, the thing is, the big difference is that the men's team makes more money than the women's team, whereas they they have more leagues, they make more, they bring in more ticket sales, they make more revenue, they sell more merchandise and things like that. So, you know, they should be making more money. But um, at the end of the day, if you're paying somebody a bonus for losing and tying and you're not doing that for the other team, that doesn't make sense to me. So I think that was a really big um, and gutsy move by these five women on the women's national team to finally take a stand and say enough's enough. And we're the one that won the, the World Cup. We're the team that is dominating in the Olympics. They had a bad year this year, but that's okay. But, <laughs> um, you know, they're the ones that, that are winning. They're the ones who are really, you know, the stars right now. And you can't, they aren't training any less than the men's are, men's team is. And they deserve to be equal um, in, in all ways that they can be equal. And I do know that the agents and merchandise and sales and contracts, and that's all different. And I know that there's different levels of international pay and things like that. But um, the, le the, the ways that it can be equal absolutely should be equal. Yeah, that I mean, that's a very interesting story. And we're seeing that again and again with women in Hollywood um, and women in these like positions of power that are are not necessarily positions of positions of power, but women who are in these like very visible positions asking for these things. And I think that's an important model for people in any profession. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think it wasn't it you guys, wasn't it on your first episode where you talked about how if a man walks in and asks for a raise, it's given, mm -hmm. but a woman doesn't ask for one because it's just supposed to be, 
you know, noted by how hard they work. When you guys talked about that, I'm like, yep, that is me. Mm-hmm. That's me in a nutshell. Okay, but, well, if I win the conference, I should just be getting a raise, right? And I shouldn't have to go in and ask for it. Well, I think that men are taught to ask and women are not. Yes. Women are are taught to wait and be recognized, whereas men walk in there and ask for it. And I think women need to be um, conditioned in the same way, that they're entitled to the same thing. And I don't... I mean, sometimes, or probably a lot of the time, people will just say no, but what about the time when they say yes when you ask for it? Right. Yeah. So, start asking for a raise, is what we're saying. Yes. (laughs) Respectfully. Yeah. But ask for it and see what happens. Um, So, my story of subversion today, I just want to talk a little bit about International Women's Day and A Day Without a Woman, which um, was last week, last Wednesday, and... um, just to get a sense, I, I know most people have heard of it, but it was a day that was organized. Well, International Women's Day was the day. Um, and on that day, the women who organized the Women's March in Washington um, ha- wanted to have a day without women, which was a form of protest in which women were asked to not go to work. Um, and in order to show what the workplace would be like without women in the workplace just to show how much women actually contribute. Um, And then if people were not able to um, participate, they were to wear red in solidarity. And also um, it was encouraged to not shop at businesses unless they were owned by a woman or um, a minority. So that was the idea behind it. And it was implemented and it was supplemented with um, some protests and some marches Um, in different areas around the country. And so the women that I want to acknowledge as subversive women are four women that were arrested um, for civil disobedience, um, I believe, in New York City. Um, It was Linda Sarsour, Tamika Mallory, Carmen Perez, and Bob Bland. And I just, I feel like everyone in our country is reevaluating what protesting actually is now. And (laughs) I mean, I've heard people say, like, well, if you're going to protest, you may as well just stay on the sidewalk. And I know it's illegal in some cases to step off the sidewalk. I know at least it was for the Women's March in Buffalo. You had to stay on the sidewalk. Um, And there were police everywhere. And so it was really, like, organized. Um, But that being said, I think the point of a protest is to draw attention. And these women were sitting in the road, blocking the road, I believe in Columbus Circle near Trump Tower, and they were arrested for civil disobedience. And I can't say that that's something that I would be willing to do myself, but it's something that got national attention. It's something that is getting people talking, getting people having these conversations. And so I really think that that is a subversive act that... um, people should consider as something that's drawing attention and bringing some conversation to the cause. So I want to acknowledge them as women, subversive women. Um, so just to talk about a little bit about my, my personal involvement in um, A Day Without a Woman. So I teach young women and I work with a lot of women. So if I were to not go to work that day, another woman would have to do my job. And I would also be depriving young women of an education. And so for me, personally, I felt that I needed to be at work that day. I felt like 
denying young women education is was kind of a disservice and like counterproductive to the women's movement. So that was where I kind of fell in that. Um, Brian, did you notice people at your work participating or? I did not. <laughs> okay. So I, that was kind of the consensus when I spoke to people is that a lot of people um, just, you know, didn't, didn't participate. And then the other thing, um, and this kind of goes back to what we were talking about before with feminism as being um, exclusionary to some people. I think there were a lot of, I, I read afterwards that there were a lot of women who were in positions where, um, like there were school districts closed in DC and there were women who were left single mothers without childcare that day and scrambling people who could not afford to miss a day of work, people that could not afford to have a day without pay. And I think that that is something, I mean, I, re I read this, something someone posted on Twitter that ended in saying, well, this is what happens when your feminism is not intersectional. And I have to say, I agree with that, that there, I think there, I love the idea of it, but I think there was a misstep somewhere in which um, some women, mostly women of color um, and women who are living in poverty or low income women, uh, where this impacted them negatively. And that I think is something to consider when doing something like this. Um, so I, I, I think I, I understand that aspect of feminism as being exclusionary. Yeah, yeah, I would agree. I, I went to work on Wednesday. That it was last Wednesday. Yep. I remember I had a conversation with um I went to yoga and this the most adorable older man, he's probably like in his sixties, goes to this class every Wednesday that I go to and he holds the door open for me and he goes I'm supposed to hold the door open today, right? It's some, it's woman, a oh woman's <laughs> day. And I go, that's what they tell me. And he goes, but I do this every day because I know how to treat a woman. And I was like, well, aren't you just a doll? <laughs> I love having interactions with men like that. It's just my favorite. But um, yeah, I would agree. I mean, I, I influencing young women is what I do too. Sometimes Kelsey and I can't escape girls. We just <laughs> seem to always be around them. But um. <laughs> Yeah, I, you know, I would have, I had fun going to work and working with my athletes and being in the court with them. I mean, to me, that's, that's the best part of my job. You know, that's why I'm, I'm doing this. So I wouldn't, I couldn't see myself really being anywhere else. Mm -hmm. But I do think that is, there's a big issue with, um, you know, can that be an inclusive day for everybody where everyone can enjoy the day and not be stressed about it and worry about childcare and money and, all the little things that we have to worry about every single day. And I do wonder if the point was made. And I don't know. No? I don't know the maybe, answer to that. You'll probably, maybe next year you'll find out if things have gotten better or changes that have been made. Or... Well, I don't know that. It, I don't know if it's going to be a yearly thing. I know that it was something that was first done in the late 60s, early 70s. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's something that the Women's March people will organize again, or maybe another organization will um, put together again. Right. Um, so, Maria, is there anything else that you'd like to add about uh -huh. what being a woman means to you? 
Kels, it's just, it's just such a loaded question, you know? <laughs> it's just, well, first of all, I just am so happy I'm on the show. And men should not be on the show. No, I'm just kidding. No, I think that ultimately having a podcast called Humankind would be like the ultimate goal, which is so great. But, um, but we're a long way long from way. that. Yeah. I think that, I, you know, ultimately I think that being a woman is, is it, has, it has so many fun things. And it, it really is an incredible thing to be a woman. And I love talking to men that really get that. Mm-hmm. Um, because it it's it's good to know that there are good guys out there. So I'm thinking that all the guys that want to come on the podcast, and I'm not just saying this because my fiance wants to come on, are guys that are really support um, and truly love women. Um, and they just probably want to come on, maybe Kelsey, and tell that, that, you know, they're not a bad guy. Mm-hmm. But we know you guys aren't bad guys. But... Um, you know, I think that, but it's not about it's not about devaluing men. True, it's about valuing yes. women. And I think that that's probably though maybe what some of the men might think. Mm-hmm. You know, they just want to tell their side of the story, mm-hmm. as everybody wants well, to do, we've right? Heard your side of the story, <laughs> men. <laughs> you, you right. You're right. <laughs> I think that um, I think too, as as a woman that gets to work with young women. Um, I work with 18 through 22 year olds. I think if you're a woman out there and you're not, um, if you don't work with girls that are younger than you, I, I ask you to go out and try to do it in some capacity. Maybe it's volunteering or, um, coaching a sport, sporting team or volunteering to read books to young kids or big, big sister. I don't know. There's so many different programs out there, but, um, I think as a, if you're a strong, independent woman, and you really believe in the future of society and, you know, your rights as a woman, go out there and really influence young women because, you know, some of the best parts of my job are not just winning volleyball games. It's when I get the phone calls after my girls graduate and are just thanking me for everything I've done and they're working in, you know, they're working in ER and doing their dream nursing job or they have these awesome graduate programs or they're going to, I have a one player that's out there designing, was designing for Under Armour and now she's at Kilm. It's just incredible um, what my, my former players are doing and what my current girls are doing as well. And I think that's the biggest takeaway that I love about being a woman and working with women is I really get to help shape and influence them for the rest of their lives and it's it's great to know that I'm a part of that um you know and I'm the one that's making sure that they um they aren't getting run down by all the the negative negativity mm-hmm. out there and standing up for themselves and going after what they believe in I completely agree with that I mean I not only like Maria said it's it's extremely rewarding to work with young women, but at the same time, I learn things every single day from my students, and they're just incredible. Um, so I think that that's a good note for us yeah, to leave it on. I think so, too. Um, Maria, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. All right. Thank you for listening. Bye, friends.